This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 4th of September 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John, and here's my Roaring News article gathering co-host Dave. Hello, John. Hi, Dave. It's still so, summertime, isn't it? It is just about. Summer is beginning to wane, I think. Yeah, but recording this, it's still summer, and it's still a bit of a uh, new slump, isn't it? It is a little bit. It is a little bit. It does seem to be a bit of a, a slow news, although we have gathered what I think is a, a decent selection of articles this time round. Yeah, I think it was better than last last uh, news episode. I mean, last news episode, I can't say I was that proud on it, but we tried. We did our best. We did. We did. <laughs> we did the best we could with the material we had. And uh, boy, did it show. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, some navel-gazing there, but anyway. <laughs> so with that, let's let's get into this exciting big data news. Uh, yeah, um, Come talk to me about the letter C. Uh, yeah, well, actually, it's five Cs, which is a good thing, because if it was three Cs, then uh, if you go back to the 1980s and do some Wayback Machine, I will leave it up to the audience to take a search. But trust me, five Cs are much better than three Cs. And this is an article on the O'Reilly website. It's uh, a collaboration between Mike Lukides, uh, Hilary Mason, and Jay, sorry, DJ Patil. And those are respectively a person from O'Reilly Media, a person from Cloudera, and actually DJ Patil is the, as it's written here, the first ever US chief data scientist. Apparently under the Obama administration, a US nationwide data scientist was uh, appointed. And according to this little thingy, that was DJ Patil. But currently he's working at LinkedIn as well. Anyway, enough about the personal glorification or glorification of persons. It's a story about the five C's, and that's one of the, well, worst titles I've read in a long time, I must admit. Luckily, there's a little subtitle there. It's the five framing guidelines to help you think about building data products. And I took this article because it's a bit of a different take on the whole GDPR thing. If you're in the Europe environment, that kind of rings a bell that should that should ring a bell it should give you some idea of what this article is about across the pacific ocean and the other ocean if you're going the other way around uh, that's of course different because uh, gdpr is specifically a european thing though u.s companies are affected by it if you want to do any business in europe but this article kind of takes it uh, from a different point of view and it's not talking about gdpr at all but it's, it's talking about the, the the thing behind the gdpr and the thing behind for me behind gdpr is how can we keep doing data gathering, but do it in an, call it ethical way if you want to, yeah. but do it in a way that people actually like you for it and don't feel abused, don't feel uh, mistrusted. I mean, there's a big picture of trust here because the whole thing about data sharing is very tied to the trust issue because if I don't trust you, I would give you my data, even though you might be doing good things with it. If I don't trust you, I can't trust you that you will do good things with you with that data. And this article, does so it, it, it kind of gives you five guidelines on how you should think about your data gathering, big data, machine learning, advanced analytics uh, project to try and make sh- and make it happen that people actually are happy sharing their data with you. And well, to be honest, there aren't really any any. Uh, oh my God! I never thought that was going to be it. I mean, it, it's all just common sense. But as you're prone to say, <laughs> common sense isn't all that common. 
and even less so in a in a business space when it comes to things like this. So I, I agree. I think it's a really nice it's a really nice way of framing the different um, core concerns that you should have when you're building a big data program or a big data product um, and give those guiding principles for doing things the right way. And even broader than that, because, I mean, it's been said before that every company is a data company now, and that's, well, more or less true, let's say, definitely in a high-tech uh, environment or in a very customer-facing environment. But, and, and this should actually be kind of guiding li- guidelines for the whole company organization, to be honest. It should be more than just a data project, because if yeah. it's just a data project, if you're the data scientist that needs to uphold these five guidelines, you have to fight against the rest of the company, that's not going to work, right? It needs to be pervasive through the whole organization. Yeah, but it, it's also, um, you know, the first kind of chunk of the article talks a lot about the fact that, um, you know, a, a level of trust has been broken in the public mm-hmm. view. Yeah. Um, you know, the, whether you're talking about the, the Facebook uh, data sharing or any of the other sort of issues that have cropped up over the last couple of years. Um, you know, malicious ads and all these kind of things, but it's it's really trying to, as, I mean, as you said earlier, really trying to come to a more ethical way of um, guiding people to make sure that they're approaching these projects with um, you know a set of guidelines that should allow them to not fall down, or at least get them to think about the impacts of if they don't do this, what will happen. Um, or what could happen to them in the future. Yeah, I think it, it's nice to see that the pendulum swing in action here because we had the pendulum in the first position where everybody's kind of afraid to do things, but let's see what we can do. And over the last, well, it's called a decade perhaps, it swung totally to the other side where people are grabbing data and doing everything they could do to make money from it. And now it's swinging back again towards the, oh, hang on, this is excessive. We, you can't keep doing this. People don't like you anymore. So let's move it back again. So... You might think GDPR is perhaps a little bit going too far in the other direction, but on the other hand, you need to find the balance at a certain point, and well, yep. it's uh, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I kind of like that this article just tries to be a positive article without uh, denouncing or yeah. accusing, but just, hey guys, let's just agree on these little simple edicts, let's say, and see if we can make the world a better, pra- a better place. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like setting um, rules of engagement, yeah. if you like. So, I mean, should we talk about the the, the C's? Uh, well, we might as well, right? I mean, uh, as always, the link will be in the show notes. If you want to have the full article, you should go and read it. Uh, but let's just go quickly over them. The first C is consent. And, um, yeah, as the first line says, you can't establish trust between people who are providing data without agreement about what data is being collected and how it will be used. And... Uh, I mean, one of the things in GDPR is that it's it should no longer be a pop-up that says, I accept cookies, okay. It needs to be a yes, no. And GDPR actually mandates there should be granularity in there. And I've actually seen yeah. quite a few websites now that actually give you an option to say, I want advertising cookies, I want uh, identity cookies, I want tracking cookies, and you can switch them on and off. Yep. Granted, they make it pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, you spend like 10 minutes to get down to the page where you can actually do little checkboxes on some of those sites. But uh, at least it's there. And some sites actually are, are quite open, open and honest about it. So the, 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 the consent and knowing what you're consenting to, it's really going in, a, in, a, in the right direction, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's actually coming to a point where I'm actually using Adblock a lot. 
just to get rid of all of the the, 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 the sludge out there. But that one of the disadvantages of that is that I have to fill in that yes, no thing every single time I go there because I don't allow the cookies to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually now in a state of mind where I think, well, maybe I'll start whitelisting stuff so I can keep that as it's set, set it once and then keep it using like that. So Yeah. Uh, not there yet, but I'm I'm moving that way. So yeah, consent. I mean, not only should it be given, but should also be clear what what you're giving it, and that's the second C, clarity, which uh, doesn't only talk about uh, the clarity of the consent, but also okay when you consent to give your data for reason X. What's the what does that exactly mean? And actually, the Cambridge Analytica story comes to the forefront on this little yeah. C. And I'm pretty sure that the Cambridge Analytica was one of the driving forces behind the creation of this article, to be honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was actually one of the, a very nice example where people gave consent for something and there was no clarity that there was going to be sharing and resharing of that data behind the scenes. And again, yeah, loss of trust as a result of that. Yeah, very much so. And the, the other thing that it, it makes um, quite nicely clear is even if it might seem obvious that data is in a, um, a public forum, and the example they use is tweets on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, many don't understand, many people don't understand that, you know, the, the tweets can be collected and used for research and, um, you know, you can, but that data is also, you know, it's fully public. It's, it's published out there. So, mm-hmm. It, even though it might seem obvious to some people, actually clearly stating that this information is public, therefore can be used by you know, anyone and everyone that has access to it, um, it, it, it actually needs to be stated that that is the case. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if I'm agreeing to that. I mean, I mean, yeah, the moment you sign up for a Twitter account or a Facebook account, you should have the rules of engagement, as you said, that... Uh, laid out to you but when you know I mean I think Facebook is a more of a grey zone because that's partially private, non-private you decide if you share with your group or non-group I'm not on Facebook so I don't know the details but I do know there's a granularity in there while on yep. Twitter it's just public the, uh, it's a fire hose, you put it up there it's in the world, the end so if you want to ex- if, you, if you're expecting that every time you post a tweet you kind of get read your Miranda rights to, to use a, an American term uh, at a certain point, you have to put some intelligence into the users as well, right? You, you can yep. expect a level of intelligence, a level of, of 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 knowledge, of knowing how the world works when people go on this. But again, I'm talking about that mystic thing called common sense, right? Indeed, indeed. So let's let's hit the next C then: consistency and trust. Um, I, this I think is is one of one of the the more important ones um, because you can you can be sort of very upfront about what you're going to do with data at one point in time, but then if you go and do something else completely different with that data, um, you know it, it it sort of it completely breaks anything that you said earlier. Mm-hmm. So being consistent about how you're dealing with data. Um, it also talks about, um, you know, from a trust perspective, um, taking due care and attention towards um, securing your data. And then it talks about a variety of organizations that have had um, customer data stolen over the last couple of years. 
and you know that in itself is is breaking that uh, breaking that trust that you're not taking enough care over the security of data that customers could give to you. Yeah, and there's actually one thing I'm missing in this little C because it always talk, it's, it, it keeps talking about what a entity that you gave the data to will do with that data and how that might change over time or might just be unclear. But what of the example of WhatsApp being purchased by Facebook? That was it, right? Yeah. When I signed up at WhatsApp, that was a different company. And I agreed and I put stuff on that public, well, semi-public medium, but they have my chat history. They had an agreement with me. Now they get gobbled up by another company that has different, I'm not going to say if they're better or worse, that's not the point of it, but has a different view on how data use should be done. At no time did I have a choice, I have a choice now to stop using it, but that data is still there and has moved to this other entity, which might have a totally inconsistent view of how to use that data now. And that's not being True. talked about at all here. And I think we're, we're moving into a kind of uh, moment in time where there's a bit of a consolidation going on, where smaller entities are being called by larger ones or forming a large one together. There's, there's things being joined together and data sources that have been already connected by data broker firms out there now actually get even joined even further together by these kind of mergers and acquisitions and whatever uh, whatever way it happens. And that's one thing where nobody can ever be put at fault because I did a conscious choice to use Service X because I like the way they use data, I like the company, I like their ethics, I like their way of doing business. I would never go to a company B for reasons. Yeah. And suddenly it becomes one company. They have every right to do a merger, no problem there. They own the data which I shared, so yep, it's their data. But now what? And yeah, I mean they well, don't talk I about mean, it because I think they don't have an answer for it. No, that's true. Although, if it's something um, you know that where if you're in a, a region where GDPR is relevant, then of course the you have the right to be forgotten. And if you don't agree with that new organisation having access to that data, then you can submit a request that yep. they remove you and uh, you'll remove all of your data from any of their systems. So yeah, I agree. They don't really cover that and I, it's not a it's not something that's well dealt mm -hmm. with I think on a general basis, but yeah. and at again, least there is a there is a nuclear option here. Uh, not exactly, because what if a uh, European company is bought by an American company? Doesn't matter. You're a European citizen, therefore they have to comply with GDPR. Um, if I want to continue to do business with them, or if they want to do business with us, but if, a co if an American company who has no business in Europe simply buys European, a European entity, the data doesn't goes over matter. there. You're, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're a European citizen, therefore but, GDPR applies to that. Yes, but who will I ask to forget, to forget me? You'd have to ask that US organization. They say And I they won't. have to comply. And if they don't? No, they have to. And if, uh, and if they don't? Then you can begin the whole um, process of um, escalating through um, the various bodies that regulate it. Uh, I wonder actually, because I was thought uh, saw the GDPR thing was applying to to companies that do business in the in in Europe. No, no, it's nothing to do with where they do business. It's to do with the user. That's why it's so powerful, and that's okay. why there are so many U.S. organizations okay. um, that Fair. are impacted by it. 
that's actually also why um, there's a, there are a variety of online services that actually have now, at least for the time being, blocked access to yep. European citizens because they don't have a good way of handling um, GDPR. Um, yeah, but so you just said that that doesn't really work because I can still ask them to do it because I'm. A yeah, but they've 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 blocked access to all new yeah. all new access for the time being until they work out how they can deal with it. Also, maybe to show that they're doing their best to comply, even yeah. though they aren't compliant at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as as with all these things, it's very much a journey. So uh, actually, so. A little, uh, something a little bit of a sidetrack here, but. Uh, I actually did uh, on LinkedIn. You can press a button to say, I want to have a download of all the data you have for me. Mm-hmm. Actually worked quite well. <laughs> you get a first dump very quickly and a second more complete dump in a, in a day or two. And okay. the advantage there was that I now have a nice Excel list of all my LinkedIn contacts. And when I contacted them, it actually gives me more information than what I can find on the LinkedIn site itself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Also, I'm expecting I'm expecting a Power BI visualization coming soon. Uh, that's for the next article. Let's let's not jump ahead. <laughs> <laughs> let's finish up this article with uh, the last two C's, because uh, as any article, further down you go, the more uh, oh the last the last single C. Even I was reading this consequences the last C, but I think control and transparency is the last one. It's a short uh, wrap up because it's a bit of a rehash of what's already been talked about, but. Basically, it says that, well, even though you have shared your data, you should still have control over what's being done with it. Yeah, and also how, you know, how do you, if you decide to change, if some some sort of data that they ask for changes, your whether it might be political affiliation or gender preference or whatever it might be, then um, you need to be able to update and modify that. And this is also the one part where they do a, rel- um, a connection to the GDPR regulations yeah. final c then go for it i'm not entirely sure if that's a final c or that's just the the end of the of the article no no, says no, no it's definitely the final c uh, it's, a, uh, it's yeah, a tough but... one the consequences uh, to be honest when i read this part of it i didn't really know what to think of it because i mean how can you tie consequences to data you share i mean they can but how can i Yeah, I mean, some of this is to do with yeah things like GDPR. Um, they they also talk about a variety of other um, policies. That, I mean, these are US policies that have been put in place to protect specific groups. So the, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Grant. Yeah, hang on, I'm just um, reading the Strava AOL thing now. Specific data sets like Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it, it's not, it's not something that's really well thought out at the moment. But there need to be consequences, um, and therefore there need to be, um, what's the other word that they use here? Uh, harm um, for the harm either. But it's more of yeah. a when you're uh, gathering the data for a certain use case. Don't be myopic, but make sure that you also consider other possible consequences. I mean, it it triggered me now when I read Strava there, which was the uh, GPS tracker, which uh, revealed all the locations of the military bases in in somewhere in in Afghanistan or something, Iraq, I don't know, somewhere where it shouldn't be known. 
And that's basically where Strava kind of did a nice thing and shared data for the good of the world, let's say. But there was an extra consequence they hadn't counted upon. So maybe you need to read this consequences part as in when you do the data gathering and you do stuff with it, also be aware of consequences you might not have thought of at first. But that's, of course, a very open-ended and hard question to answer when you're so focused on your little project or big project even. Uh, and and again, how how responsible can you actually be held held sorry uh, for consequences that may or may not have been foreseeable? Because I mean, uh, the consequences of unforeseen results. I mean, if it's unforeseen, you can't foresee it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a I bit mean, of a the, vague one. Yeah, I mean the the, the example. Yeah, some of the other examples it gives is the fact that. Um, that there are many data sets that would be um, it, you know, significantly more valuable if they were shared rather than remaining, uh, you know, isolated and secured. Um, because you know, the, one of the examples they use is medical data, yeah. uh, you know, fragmented, you know, multiple small silos that if this could be joined, it would accelerate the pace of, um, you know, healthcare yeah. research, or cancer research, whatever it might be. But yeah. it's also very sensitive personal data so that that that's why things like you know data brokerage and data data sharing agreements you know need to exist for these kind of things but it takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of lawyers i'm sure to work out how those things can happen and it's just that's that's the nature that's the nature of the data that that's what needs to be done in order to protect anonymity and all these other things that are of a, of a serious concern with that level of detail of data. Yeah, and it's been proven that anonymizing data isn't that easy because uh, we have expert systems now that are trained specifically to recombine anonymous data to make it uh, identifiable again. Yeah, yeah. So, And even if you try today to make sure that it can't happen, who says in five, ten years' time, there won't be a way of having one extra little data set that makes it possible again, so sharing and having to deal with possible unforeseen consequences is a very hard thing. Yeah, indeed. So just, just for just for clarity, um, actually that's one of the five C's, so maybe I won't use that word. <laughs> just for um, brevity, how about that? Um, uh, the, the five C's that they mention are consent, clarity, consistency, control, brackets, and transparency, consequences, brackets, and harm. So those are the five C's, and I, I, I think it's actually a really good article. It, it's it's worth looking at if you're if you're trying to understand the ethics mm. of building big data products and and what you know what are the the areas you should start considering. So yeah, it's a nice compact no. overview of uh, just uh, the, the the thinking points, the thought points. Yeah, I, I like indeed. It. It's not too long. It's a nice read. It's well written, and. Uh, Dave just uh, solved the single issue he had with the article that didn't have a summary at the front of the, front of the, of the actual five C's. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's actually about a you know, quarter of the way down the article. But anyway, there we go. I was sure you were going to have a Fixed second. I'm sure you had a second uh, reservation about this article. No. Yes, there no. was one. I have to find it again. Uh, it didn't have any visualizations in it. I mean, that's, that's obviously a major issue. No, 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 no. If you go... Uh, down the one, two, three, fourth paragraph. Data collection is big business. Data is valuable. Oh. The new oil. 
God. But they do actually say, as the economist proclaimed. So they're not saying that data is the new oil. They said that the economist said, proclaimed yeah. that data is the new oil. But yeah, you're right. That's just lazy, lazy journalism. <laughs> please, please, please stop saying data is the new oil. Thanks. It's a new biofuel. Better? No, it's rubbish. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> okay, moving on. Take it up. So yes, I, I I kept throwing in sort of visualization into that uh, into that previous one, and that's because that's what hijacking my, my article. <laughs> I'm just I'm just giving the audience a teaser into my article, which is obviously far more interesting. Um, you hear it here? So this you heard is save the tease. <laughs> Oh, maybe. Um, so this is something that I found called the Chartmaker Directory. And uh, you know, people that have been listening for a while know I'm a sucker for a good visualization. Now, this this is, this in itself is not necessarily a good visualization. Oh, it's a bad one, but it's a, Well, okay, maybe. But it's, it's a great way of finding good visualizations. Um, it's so this finding is, a solution that has a visualization you need. Okay, that's... Thank you for that's the being pedantic there, sorry. <laughs> Nice. Um, so anyway, so this is um, a, a visualization that shows you a variety of different visualization tools, everything from, let's, let's see, Amazon QuickSight through to ZingChart um, and a variety <laughs> of technologies in between. Um, and, and then it, so it provides sort of those as a vertical column, and then the rows are different types of visualizations, and they're split up into uh, categorical, so things like bar charts, uh, bubble charts, radar charts, um, hierarchical, so things like pie charts, uh, the Venn diagrams, tree maps, um, relational, so things like heat maps, bubble plots, scatter plots, network diagrams, and spatial, so things like uh, prism maps, proportional symbol maps, flow maps, things like that. And going back in time, you forgot temporal. I did. You're quite right. Temporal, <laughs> which is bump charts, slope graphs, area charts, and horizon charts, amongst others. Gaunt charts. Um, yeah. So I this I'm, I'm a sucker for good visualizations, and I I think that visualization is one of the um, it's one of the areas that is less well handled in big data projects. Lots of people find great insights, but then present them terribly. Um, and I, I think this is well worth looking at. You know, depending on what you're trying to show, um, this gives you a good ex a good uh, way to say, okay, well, I want to show a. A connected dot plot. So connected dot plots. It, even if you hover over the name of it, it uh, gives an example of what a connected dot plot is. A little bit of a description around it as a as a um, as a pop up, and then you can see uh, sort of dots in the uh, across the different products as to which products support that that particular type of plot. Now. If you see a, a, a you know a, a fully filled in circle, um, then you can click on that, and that's an entire solution, um, and that actually links through to you know maybe a blog post, maybe a piece of um, of documentation from that that particular vendor or whatever it might be. But it shows uh, you know actual code for how you implement that particular uh, diagram. If you see a uh, 
a a circle that's not full, fully filled in, then that's just a, it just shows you an example. And actually, you'll see some of them have multiple um, circles, which, which just means that multiple people have submitted um, examples of what that particular tool can do in terms of that particular visualization. Not because you've got a sense of the popular popularity of that visualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that so there's a few. Personally, I think there's a few nice things about this. One of them is on the uh, the top sort of left hand corner, the, the little plus symbol that allows you to actually. So if you know one of these tools and you think, oh well, you know, I I use that particular tool and I can submit this particular, uh, or I, I I have this particular um, visualization then you can actually enter the tool and chart type and submit a link and add any other details. Crowdsourcing. And yeah, it, exactly, it's crowdsourcing. And it's, it's, but it is curated, so just because you submit something, it won't immediately appear. It, it's, uh, it's curated by its author. Um, but it's, it's a really, really, I mean, I think this is really useful. I, there's many, many times where I would like to understand what, uh, you know, just quickly, which tools a customer has. Um, and then, okay, so in that case, you could visualize that data using any of these different methods. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting this is absolutely complete. There are mm-hmm. any number of visualization tools out there. Um, and it's, it's for example, it's not terribly surprising that things like um, R and um, uh, D3.js have the the uh, largest selection of uh, sort of fully uh, fully checked boxes in all of those uh, um, all of those different categories because of course they're they're frameworks for implementing visualization so you would expect that to be the case but as I was uh, commenting to to Jan towards the uh, before we started recording I was actually pleasantly surprised how. Um, how well featured things like uh, Microsoft Power BI are in terms of the the, the number of visualizations that that they support, and similarly um, Tableau as well. You know, it it, um, it does actually have quite a, a high degree of support for a lot of these visualizations. Now, of course, it has it has different problems with the way that it processes data and the server side side of things, but. Um, there are some. You know, it's, it's well worth looking at this if you're if you're looking to understand this this space. I say it's not complete. There's not every technology under the sun here, but it gives you a nice introduction to to some of the things that are out there. And as I say, if if you have a, a variety of different tools, this might be a nice way of uh, not just understanding. Okay, I can do these kind of graphs, but actually, as I say, it gives you proper you know solutions with code snippets as to how you implement them. So. Yeah, I, I really quite like it. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I would actually flip it around a bit and uh, use this. That when you have a data science department that's starting up and you're building a data lake and you're doing mm-hmm. your advanced analytics, and oh yeah, we need to visualize this too. And you have some ideas. Okay, we want to do these kind of visualizations. Okay, what product, what solution out there could actually do all this for us to yeah. avoid us having to use? four or five different solutions which don't interact very well, blah, 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 and things like that. Yeah. So it gives yeah. you a nice overview of the of the, the availability of, of solutions out there. I mean, the big ones are out there. You've maybe mentioned Tableau and Power BI, but Kulik is there as well. 
there's something from Google there too. Google Charts is there. Um, yeah, there's Charts Spotify. Is, is and there, Spotify from Tipco. MicroStrategy. So it's actually quite complete, and so it's going to be a bit outdated, but still it gives you a very nice feel here of what you want to do. The one thing I'm having a bit of a question mark is uh, I see a column with Kibana, but as far as I know, and I might be totally wrong, but I think Kibana is actually using D3JS underneath. So what happens when you use a framework and a library framework, which are actually interchangeable sometimes, then that makes it a little bit more muddied. So that's one thing to be aware of. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. So it's not gospel, maybe, but still, if you're doing Kibana, you probably know what kind of um, graphing engine underneath there, because you could just use R graphing inside Kibana as well, right? Kibana is an open yeah. open framework, you can call it if you want there. So make sure you keep that in mind. And uh, one other thing that I'm missing here and would be impossible to add, I'm, I'm sure, is that some of these things, I mean, I know Power BI because hey, I work for Microsoft, so I know Power BI. There's a big uh, market out there where people can just add visualizations. You can just build a, a I'm going to call it a jar, but it's not a jar. And you can just add it to the marketplace and have people use it for free or ask a little bit of money for it, whatever. But so there's a lot more in Power BI than what's on this list. And I'm pretty sure that for a number of other things, that is also valid. But I don't see any way you can actually categorize that because that's just too too dynamic, too, too went, I was going to say unstable, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> well, I think maybe you could, maybe there's a, a third type of reference type. So you've got the the fully um, fully enclosed circle for a solution, uh, a an empty circle for an example. Maybe you could have a half a half filled circle for something that's an add-on. Yeah, but for example, I see in a Power BI a plugin that will take the American flag and then use the bars of the 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 the, the, the colored bars to to give indication of population stuff and things like that. It's a flag chart. Uh, doesn't make sense. It's very specific. Very. I mean, I would like to have a little a, a one row there with, I don't know, customizable. Uh, Pluginable, whatever option as well, expandability mm. option, which I don't see in this thing, and the, I think that's the no. Worst you're right. It does. It does very much distill it down to these types of charts rather than, which makes it usable. Because yeah, I mean, there yeah. are hundreds of uh, publicly uh, donated and shared visualizations of Power BI. Really, hundreds. It's it's an you can't start so categorize you don't want to start categorizing that stuff yeah and yeah. not all of them are actually as good as you would think some are actually <laughs> quite bad <laughs> but still that's uh, but no I, I, I like the thing you do need a dual monitor setup to be actually to see the whole chart thing oh yeah <laughs> yeah you have to scroll left to right and up and down either that or you need to uh, go Very through glasses. the process of uh, well yeah sh- shrinking the uh <laughs> In your browser, shrinking the um, the the scale of it quite considerably, and then yeah, you're right. You'll need glasses. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's yeah. it's actually it's, that's it's the way it goes. You see, it's 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 a labor of love a little bit because if you actually mouse over the, for example, bullet chart, the first column with the names of charts, you get a little yeah. visualization, little explanation there. So yeah, the person who made this, I'm not sure if you actually know who made this. Um, so about thing. Yeah, so there's the design and research is from Andy Kirk, and the site development is actually Andrew Witherley. Okay. Well, they did the world a favor. I like it. Thumbs up. Indeed. Indeed. Two thumbs up, in fact. Three thumbs up. 
And we can go to four. Okay, how are we going to visualize those thumbs up? <laughs> uh, you don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, anything else from you? Uh, nope. We talked about C's and we talked about more C's with uh, Chartmaker. I Indeed. That's enough C's. Well, in that case, that is about all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then.